Memorial Day weekend has become a lot of, of different things within our culture. For some, it's a weekend of travel and, and a weekend of, of camping. John, how many times have you gone camping over Memorial Day weekend? Or is it a weekend you avoid because it's crowded? Avoided at all costs. For, for others, Memorial Day weekend is, is a weekend of, of sports tournaments. My, my nieces are up from San Diego because my two older nieces who are in 6th and 8th grade are playing in a, in a national field hockey tournament at, at Moore Park College. Talk about a game I don't understand at all. I've been trying to understand it all weekend, trying to really get it, but I, I can't. Uh, oh, and I know All-Star Weekend for Little Leagues has started this weekend as well. For some, it's a weekend of barbecue. It's a weekend of you pull out your smoker and you, you let the, the meat smoke for 13, 14 hours. And now you're all sitting here getting hungry. And then you'll go home and it's raining so you can't enjoy your barbecue that you wanted to enjoy. But, but really more than anything, it's a weekend where we're, we're called to give thanks for the folks who paid the ultimate sacrifice protecting this country. The act of pausing to reflect and look back is something that's important for us as, as Americans, but, but it's also something that's important for us, for anyone who, who claims to be a follower of Christ, to take some time to, to pause and to kind of step back and, and remember and give thanks for all those who have come before us, for the foundations that have been, been laid for us so that we can live and worship in the way that we do now and today. The, the reality is the past plays an important role in who we are now and today. In the Philippians pastor that Pastor John read, Paul gives thanks for what the church in Philippi had been doing in the recent past, as in like the last year, or the last 18 months. And, and in the passage we're about to read from Joshua, we'll see that it, it's important to remember the past as in decades and generations ago as well. So much of, of why we are where we are today is because of the past. And so as we open up our Bibles, and again, we don't have the screen, so you're going to have to actually open your Bible. But that's why they're in front of you. You can pull out your, your phone if you want to follow along on your phone. You can do that as well. Uh, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 8, and then the tail end as well. Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and then 20 through 22 as well. I should have looked up what page that's on in the Pew Bible. What number? 196, 196, if you're looking in the, in the Pew Bible. Um, as we turn there, as you, you pull out your phones to follow along, let's, let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your word and for the ways you have moved throughout history. May we be a people who take time to be thankful for the past, learning from it, and remembering that you are still moving today. In these next few moments, we ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us, and God, I ask that you take my words and that you would use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So this morning's passage comes at a pivotal time in Israel's history. The Israelites had been preparing to cross over the Jordan River to enter the land that God had promised them for a long time. And, and as they wandered... As they wandered, living mostly nomadic lives, priests would, would carry this tent. They, they carried the Ark of the Covenant. And, and every time they stopped to camp, like on Memorial Day weekend maybe, they, they would set up this, this mobile tent that was kind of like a mobile temple. 
And, and, and they would, they would set it up and they, they'd worship there and, and they'd carry it with them everywhere they went. In, in the third chapter of Joshua, the Israelites are led into the river by priests who are carrying the ark. And as they put their feet into the water, the, the, the river dries up and, and the rest of the people walk across on dry land. For those of us who journeyed through the story, we remember that that's, oh, that, that happened previously too with, with the Red Sea. This, this becomes a constant for the Israelites crossing over on, on dry land. As the Israelites move into their new home, Joshua helps them to memorialize the past, to understand the significance of the present, and also gives them hope for the future. So Joshua helps them as they, they walk over to memorialize the past, to recognize the significance of the present, and to have hope for the future. So again, we're in Joshua chapter 4, starting at verse 1. We read this. When the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Select twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, Take twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood, carry them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you camp tonight. Then Joshua summoned the twelve men from the Israelites whom he had appointed, one from each tribe. Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, one for each of the tribes of the Israelites. So that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. The Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took up 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord told Joshua, carry them over with them to the place where they camped and laid them down there. And then skipping ahead to verse 20. Those 12 stones, which they had taken out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal, saying to the Israelites, when your children ask their parents in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel crossed over the Jordan here on dry ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'll I'll never forget my my first trip to the East Coast. It was the same trip that a lot of eighth graders in California take today every every year. My eighth grade niece is going to be heading off on on her East Coast trip in a couple weeks. Uh, And it kind of caps off a year of studying U.S. history. How many of you had kids who took that eighth grade trip? That that eighth grade. I mean, it's it's kind of a a common trip. I, I can't remember where my trip started. I can't remember where our trip started and, and where it ended, um, uh, but I do remember sitting on the bus for hours on end. And I was one of those kids in middle school. I sat in the back with my friends, tuned out the tour guide, and threw things at the students who were sitting in front of us. Anybody with me? Ed, Ed, oh, yeah, Ron, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I remember, what I do remember from that trip is I I remember seeing Les Mis on Broadway. I I remember playing basketball on the streets in Philadelphia and sneaking out of our hotel room in Washington, D.C. at two in the morning under our, our, our chaperone had no idea where we went. It was a lot of fun. But one of the most significant things I remember from that trip was our trip to see the, the Liberty Bell. 
For some reason, in my eighth grade mind, there was a difference between seeing something like a statue and and seeing a monument that was actually a part of of American history. It wasn't until years later that that I I really began to say, huh, that was a cool trip. I got to learn a lot about about history on on that trip. And it wasn't until years later that I started taking an interest in, in history. But I'd like to think that that trip kind of planted the seed of interest in, in, in history. We just read that when Joshua and his people finally cross the Jordan River into the promised land, a man from each tribe carries a stone out of the river, river to build a monument in a place called Gilgal. Gilgal was about eight miles, eight miles west of the river and two miles north of Jericho. We know we go, they go next to Jericho. And, and I have to imagine eight miles west. So, so they carry these stones for eight miles. There's some stones back on the, um, back on the, the table on your way out that we're going to talk about. But, but these weren't stones like this. These were, these were big, big stones. And I have to imagine about mile two, the guys that, that Joshua said, Hey, will you pick up the stones out of the river saying, Joshua, you can carry your own stones. I mean, they, they were these big, they carried them for eight miles to this place called Gilgal. And, and, and Gilgal was this significant place in the history of the people of Israel. It was uh, the place where the first king of Israel was crowned. It's the place where King David goes to mourn the death of his son. It was a significant place. It became a significant place in Israel's history, I should say. And as generations pass, I imagine the Israelites, they, they came to this place, Gilgal, and they approached it the same way that I approached the East Coast when I went on my eighth grade trip. They kind of said, huh, huh see if I can sneak out from my chaperone's tent. Let, let, let's see if we can, we can go and, and, and run wild a little bit in the countryside. You know, I, I don't know that future generations understood it in the same way that everybody else did as it went from generation to generation. The only way the rocks could, could have any sort of, of, of deeper meaning than just saying, hey, there's a nice pile of, of rocks, is if, if the older generations would, would pass down and tell the stories of, of what these rocks stood for, what these rocks meant. That, that Gilgal monument reminded the Israelites that God was faithful in the past, which would have given them hope as they realized that God was still at work in the present, that God was still moving now and today. So Haley and I, we don't really have any, or many, I should say, family heirlooms in our house. We, we have, uh, Haley has a, a few pieces of my grandmother's jewelry. I have a couple tools from my grandpa, from one grandpa, and model trains from the other. And about five years ago, I, I remember this, this moment where our, our daughter Ella, who was our oldest, was about two, and she pulled out a, a deck of playing cards that were my grandfather's playing cards. And she, she did what two-year-olds do. I mean, two-year-olds aren't, aren't playing cards. They're bending them. They're drooling on them. They're chewing on them. They're doing all those sorts of things. And, and I remember feeling like, ah, can you play with any other cards? Not, not grandpa's cards. And any other cards, not, not grandpa's cards. And then it kind of hit me. It kind of hit me as, you know, my, my daughter's named Ella. My grandpa's wife, my grandma, was, was Ella. I named Ella after my grandmother, Ella. And, and I have to imagine that my, my grandpa and my grandma would have been thrilled with their great-granddaughter, Ella, playing with their cards, drooling on them, chewing them up, bending them, ruining them in my mind. I have to imagine they would have they would have loved that. And it was this surreal moment for me where I was looking both back and forward 
at the same time. Through something as, as silly as a deck of cards. The reality is we had about 25 decks of cards from my grandpa. So what, one deck, what, what does that mean? There wasn't really anything significant about the actual rocks in Gilgal. In the Mon- they were just a, a pile of, of rocks from the Jordan River. It was what they stood for that was important. They helped to tell the story of God's people to make sure that the 12 tribes of Israel were not forgotten. They were markers for the future generations. Now, throughout history, there's been all kinds of artifacts and and, and art that have tried to serve the same sort of purpose, symbolism, that has tried to serve the same sort of purpose for for the Christian church today. There's, There's music, hymns that we have sung for a long, long time. There's, there's stained glass windows that we can, we can see today that, that tell stories. There's, there, there's different artworks like the, by Michelangelo and, and, and Da Vinci and people like that that, that that connect us to history. Even the crosses that some of us wear on necklaces around uh, our, our neck, they, they tell a story. They help us to remember a story of which we are a part. Symbols have been debated in the church for a long time, but when they're at their best, symbols remind us of an identity that's rooted in a story that is so much bigger than ourselves. And that's why they're powerful. Joshua's memorial stones that, that, that he asked his community to leave for generations to come, they, they really give us four, four reminders. And, and hopefully the symbols that we have, whether those symbols are symbols that we as Westminster Presbyterian Church have, or, or symbols that you have as individuals, heirlooms, leave us with, with four of the same type of reminders. So, so first, they, they remind us of what God has done for us. Symbols remind us of what God has done for us. So the entire reason that Joshua instructs the men to set up this memorial is so that future generations will remember what God had done for them. They were to remember God's covenant with Abraham. They were to remember their captivity in Egypt and what it was like for their parents and grandparents to be set free by Moses. And as they stepped into the land that God had prepared them for their community... They did so on the shoulders of previous generations. They were to remember what God had done for them. Now, in the same way, as we head into the future as a church, it's important for us to remember WPC's history. It's important for us to realize that that we wouldn't be where we are today without without the history that's so rich and so vibrant of of, of this, this community. But it's also important that we go beyond the history of this, the 51 years of this church to, to the history of the greater church and remember both the good and the bad and, and learn from those, those places in the church. The past is a, a prelude to the present. It reminds us of how we got to where we are today and helps us to see that there's a, a continual path where, where God is still moving into the future. I have three uh, mementos that, that sit in my office that remind me of, of how God got me to where I am today. Uh, one of those mementos is my mom's Methodist hymnal. My mom, mom and dad grew up in the Methodist church in the Midwest. Uh, they, they moved to California and they joined a Presbyterian church thinking it was somewhat the same. And I said, well, 
It wasn't until I told them later that there's a pretty big difference theology-wise between the Methodist Church and the Presbyterian Church, but that's a whole other story. Um, but, but my mom's Methodist hymnal is, is a part of, of my history, so I, I keep it in my office. There's a, a picture of when I went to vacation Bible school as a kid, when I was three years old, uh, when I went to VBS in Indiana when I was visiting my grandparents. That, that sits there, it reminds me of, of this foundation that's been laid. And, and there's artwork from my aunt that she gave me when I, when I graduated from, from college and kind of began my, my career in vocational ministry. These things don't say that faith isn't my own, that I don't own my faith, but they do remind me that, that I'm connected to a larger community and that I wouldn't be where I am today without the foundation of that community. So this weekend, in, in addition to remembering those who, who paid the ultimate price for our country, I'd invite you to spend some time reflecting on those who helped shape your life. Reflecting on those who, who got you to where you are today and remembering what God has done in your life. But the memorial stones, they, they don't just remind the Israelites of what God had done for them they also remind them of what God had done for others. I think, maybe I'll just speak for myself. Uh, I tend to live sometimes with this kind of spiritual nearsightedness, kind of in this, this, this bubble, right, where, where I get so preoccupied with what's happening uh, in my own space, What's happening in my own circle? What's around me that I can't see what's happening in other parts of the world or, or let alone just, just down the street? You know, that I get stuck kind of in this, this nearsighted mode. And, and it's important. The stones kind of remind us it's important that we remember that when we come together for worship every week, the God that we worship isn't just the God of Westminster Presbyterian Church. The God that we, we worship isn't just the, the God of Presbyterians. The God that we worship isn't just the, the God of, of the church in the Western world. He's the God of the universe. It's so much bigger. When God tells Joshua to select a man from each tribe to pick up a stone, he sets the tone for his people. Twelve tribes, nine and a half who would live on the west side of the Jordan and two and a half that would live on the east side of it. At the end of, of Joshua chapter 4, what we, what we read, he explains that the monument would be for, for all people. That everyone on earth would know God's power. This wasn't just about one tribe. It wasn't even just about, about Israel. There's both unity and a diversity here in the twelve stones. The way it was put together reminds us that God's people were never intended to approach life in isolation. And neither were we. It's a good reminder for us that, that we're not alone on this journey. The stones were also a reminder that, that God was, was still at work, that God was presently doing something. It wasn't just reminding them about, about the past, that God was still doing something. The Israelites were, were going from this place and, and they set up camp right outside of the Jordan and they're getting ready to go into battle. Right? Where do they go after this? Choir, where do they go after this? Jericho. They, they, they get ready and they, they, they go into Jericho. And so God was still moving in that space. There would be a difficult road ahead. 
They would need kind of that encouragement to say, hey, God is still still at work. It's not just God of our history. It's the God of our present as well. Sometimes the hardest time to be thankful or to recognize that God is at work is when we're in the middle of something that seems impossible or uncertain. And it's especially in those times that we need to be reminded of God's sovereignty, that God is still moving now and today, that God is in control. Now, I'm one of those people who's wired in a certain way where not only do I sometimes get stuck in my, my own nearsightedness, but I, I often get preoccupied with the, the, the present challenges or I, with the future challenges, and I, I miss what God is doing in the present. I get so focused on the big picture, right? So focused on, on the, the big, that I miss the day to day. I know some of us here this morning are, are, are going through something that's difficult and, and your mind's in another place this morning or you're, you're worried about what's, what's coming on the horizon. If that's you and you only take away one thing this morning, I would hope it would be this. When you get home today, take 10 minutes. Set aside whatever it is that's, that's bogging you down, just, just for 10 minutes. Just for 10 minutes. Set it aside and spend some time writing down all the different ways that God has been faithful to you. Could be a name, could be a, uh, something that, that God has done. Write, write down what God has done to get you to where you are today. In some ways, it might, it might sound like a simple exercise or maybe even something that's silly, but it, it'll help you see that God has brought you through difficulties in the past and that God will continue to do so today. And lastly, the memorial stones, they remind us that a, a lot of what we do today has an impact on tomorrow. So they remind us that, that God, they remind us of what God has done for us. They remind us that, that God has worked in others as well as us, not just us. They, they remind us that, that God is still at work today. And they remind us that what we do today has an impact on tomorrow. In other words, we, we, we can't forget that we're a part of, of the future. The stones in Gilgal weren't just for Joshua's generation. They were for their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, for the future generations. And for the future generations, the, the focus of the stones was a little different. It was, it was on remembering the past. But for the people who marched through the Jordan, the people who carried the stones and said, Joshua, carry your own stones. For, for those people, it was about the present and preparing for the future. I think the challenge for us here is a is, is, is pretty simple one. When we think about the future, what's our legacy? What's our legacy as a church, as individuals? What are we doing to share the stories about what God has done in our lives, in our life together, that future generations will continue to tell? It's why kids' ministry and, and student ministry is, is so important to who we are as a church. Kids' ministry, student ministry, it's, it's, it's why we place such a big emphasis on them. Over the next two Sundays, actually, next week is going to be Kids' Ministry Sunday, and we're going to celebrate what God is doing in our kids' lives. When I talk about kids, I'm talking about preschool, elementary school age. And then the week after that is Student Ministry Sunday, and we're going to celebrate what God has been doing in our student ministries in the life of our, our kids. Those are two weeks you definitely don't want to miss. 
But what are we doing? It's the challenge of what are, what are we doing to create a legacy where our legacy is connected to sharing with our kids. This is what God's done in my life. This is what God has done in, in my life. My parents have a, a, a book in their house that was a gift from one of the nieces who's up for the field hockey tournament. Um, and she was nine when she gave it to them. It's a book about owls, and so it's, you kind of think, oh, okay, this is cute. It's a, it's a book about owls. But what, what got to me is what she, she wrote on the inside flap, of the, or the inside cover, I should say, of, of the book. She wrote a note and, and first kind of saying, hey, Grandma, Papa, thank you for everything that you've taught me. This book reminded me of you because you're so wise. I told my dad, don't get a big head. But the last line that she wrote was about what she had learned from my grandparents, or from her parents, my parents, her grandparents' faith. I teared up the first time I read it. To my niece, my parents are a living stone of sort. They remind her of God's presence. The stones at Gilgal are about the legacy of God's people. They were a reminder that God had always been there with them. May we be reminded of that same reality this this weekend with Memorial Day weekend. And may we remember that God has been with us in the past, that God is with us now and today, and that God will continue to be there tomorrow. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the ways you have worked through your people in this world. Thank you for those who have been examples to us, for those who have pointed us toward you, and for the opportunity we have to to remind others of your love and your hope and what you have done in our lives. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.